Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk. We have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy. Thanks for joining me today. Okay, uh, I'm pumped, as per usual, uh, because we have a repeat guest on today. The suitcase junket is Matt Lorenz. He was guest number three on this little folk podcast, and I am thrilled to welcome him back to break down the latest album, Song by Song. Released in November of 2020, The End is New was produced by Steve Berlin of Los Lobos, who was working remotely because of ye old COVID precautions. Uh, He was working remotely from the West Coast. Matt describes how that changed the way the album may have turned out, as well as several themes on the record, like climate change and overall support for science and reason. Matt set out to make a doom folk album, and at first listen and not knowing exactly what that is, I feel like he's done it. We talk about uh, what that exactly might mean, doom folk. The Suitcase Junket is known for his incredible live shows, which feature a one-man band, that's Matt Lorenz, playing instruments made out of items found in the garbage, as you may recall. Performing live is a big part of Matt's identity, and we get to talking about what his life has been like without performance since the shutdown. Matt is just so awesome, open-hearted, and very funny. It's a pleasure to have him on the podcast again. Enjoy and go buy that album, The End is New, as we break this down track by track. It's the Suitcase Junket on Basic Folk. Thanks so much for being on Basic Folk again, and welcome back. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Cindy. Nice to be here. Yeah, you were our second guest ever on the podcast. I remember. Was it after a show in Pittsburgh? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it it feeling very... Sneaky, we got to go into uh, you know into the radio station after hours. It felt like breaking and entering, which right. is always fun. Yeah, it was like the department store was closed. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Um, but the new record, the end is new. It's great. Um, and got a couple questions about the album, and then was hoping that we could go through like every song and just talk about them. Cool. All right, here we go. All right. 
So because of the pandemic, Steve Berlin, who produced the record, um, he got stuck on the West Coast and you were forced to work in like a brand new way. What did that actually like look like in practice, like Steve radioing in and giving input? And how do you think it changed the way the album sounded? Yeah, it was it was interesting. The first we got all the basic tracks in person um, in early February. And so it was the overdubbing sort of uh, two weeks of overdubbing that uh, happened in March where he was out on the West Coast. And it was honestly really difficult. It was one of these situations where I think because the lockdowns had just started, everyone was using the same software <laughs> to, mm. uh, um, you know, to do what we were doing. And so I almost called the album gone because that was literally the thing he texted to me the most during that session was because he was <laughs> losing contact all the time. But oh, right. eventually we got our act together and it was basically, you know, he was able to listen in real time to the takes that I was doing. And then he would either text or we'd have, you know, brief little phone calls. Uh, and so, you know, it was similar to having him in the booth. Everything just took longer, you know, because <laughs> when he was in the booth, right. you know, it's not like we're there's not a ton of of hangout time. It's mainly I'm, you know, in there behind the, the microphone getting things done. I mean, I, I think probably we I'm not sure how how it, it changed the 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 final product, I think it felt like we spent more time on everything. And so we may have wound up with a more um, thought out album in some ways, or maybe it was Mm. just a lot of wasted time. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe is there like an extra element of intimacy with the songs on this record? Yeah, I definitely saw the inside of these songs a lot more than other (laughs) ones. I remember, (laughs) especially the background vocal, uh, the background vocals often felt like an ordeal, you know, just because, you know, Steve has a really exacting ear and I don't know if the distance made it more so, but he was definitely really, really wanting to hear the the background vocals as a really tight thing mm. with a very particular, um, you know, idea for, for most of the tunes. And so those ones I remember just feeling interminable. <laughs> <laughs> You told Steve that you wanted to make a doom folk record, which is what you'd been using to describe your music to people. Yeah. How did making this album help you define what exactly that means? I mean, it's it's almost charming now that, you know, uh, last summer, you know, the one before the pandemic, I felt doomy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, past Matt had no idea what was coming. Um, but, um, but in the process, you know, it was, it wasn't something that we came back to a ton, but it was, uh, in terms of, you know, the idea of making a doom folk record, but it was something that I always had at back of mind. Um, and I think it was, especially in the overdub sessions with, you know, a pandemic upon us and these sort of no one really knowing what was going on. A lot of people close to us, you know, passing, it, w- mm. it wasn't hard to find the darkness, we'll say that. Um, mm. And so I think that did yeah. that did kind of come through um, on the record. Of not playing shows in 2020, you said it feels odd and there's a part of me that's kind of missing. Can you talk about what that missing part is like and how have you been adjusting without that part of you? Yeah, that, you know, it's, it's a, 
performing the music is a really interesting thing. You know, the the touring aspect has has become you know the work, the job part of it, right? The like you know. I, I, I joke that most of my job is I'm a professional driver, basically, you know, and so the part that I <laughs> that I get to actually, you know, do my art ends up, you know, becoming more important when I'm out there on the road and sharing a room with people and that kind of alchemy and magic that happens when a bunch of people get in a room and feel things together and, you know, that, you know, the reason that people like live music, um, it's, a, it's a really unique part of of the work and of the of the craft and it's it's weird because I you know it's not like I'm craving it necessarily you know I I Mm -hmm. love being home and I and in spending time you know doing other things and it, it feeds a different part of me but the part that that's missing is I don't know. It's the extrovert part of me. It's the part of me that feeds on, um, on that Mm. sort of energy that you can't get other places. And so even sitting down and practicing and playing the tunes, it's a completely different thing than going out and playing a show. And it's, I find it difficult to, to put into words because it's such a, an odd thing to do. It's, uh, I mean, I guess it's a little bit like, um, uh, a substance or something, you know, it's something that you, like it's the only thing that makes you feel that way and uh i used to do it all the time and now i don't (laughs) so i'm in withdrawal or something i don't know right yeah yeah i wonder if um once things get back to uh normal and you're you're able to tour again if it's going to take a little while to adjust back into it or if you're just going to like jump right back into the feeling of it yeah, posted. yeah, I will. I mean, I, I suspect, you know, I've taken breaks from playing shows in the past. I generally take the winters off. And so the that feeling of getting back to it is like very, it feels very familiar and I look forward to it. It's it's manic really is what happens. It's like, like two songs into a show and I start gushing about how great it feels, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're going to be intolerable. I will. I will be a complete, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No one's going to want to listen. (laughs) Black holes and overdoses. Black holes and overdoses. Oh, black holes and overdoses. Oh, me, oh, my. Oh, me, oh, my. Oh, me, oh, my. Okay, um, let's talk about the songs on this record. I'm going to start with Black Holes and Overdoses. And you wrote this, like, pretty incredible um, track by track summation. So, um, just to p- give people who are listening sort of background on some of these songs, I'm going to like sum up some of the parts of what you wrote. So, about black holes and overdoses, that song started at the realization of how similar those two things are like singular events, bending space and time that consume themselves into oblivion. And the pace of the song, which is like pretty, um, rapid um, is meant to reflect the relentlessness of the news cycle. And in thinking about that, like everybody has their own experience with that never ending cycle. Um, what What's that experience like for you, like balancing, keeping yourself informed with like turning yourself into an information zombie? And did that change at all after writing this song? Yeah, I I go back and forth with that, you know, because I feel 
it's important to know what's going on and then it can really become uh, a, a weird especially with the telephone and the ability to have the information at any point at any sort of down moment it can become this sort of like behavioral tick where you're just like oh i I guess i'll check Mm. the news again see if anything's gotten better in the past seven minutes yeah i don't know um so i every once in a while will just you know try to not pay attention um and i Mm -hmm. i used to do it for longer periods of time um usually i'll have to replace it with something else like you know reading a book or you know some sort of other reading uh or you know creative thing um but it's yeah it's it's one of those tunes that just uh i actually don't know where i was going to go <laughs> with that. it's you know it's it that's what but i feel like that's what the you know the social media and the news does to my brain you know it's sort of mm. it fills it up to the point that yeah. i like lose the ability to to express myself sometimes so it's important to turn it off once in a while and uh, you know kind of wipe the slate clean song light a candle um light a candle is a story about a devastating loss told through the mundane memory of sharing a cup of coffee um and then some of the lyrics are then i got sadder than i thought i ought to be sadder still for trying to keep the sadness out because i could not sink into my sense of me i was left with several galaxies of doubt Whew. <laughs> yeah very good that's a heavy one um yeah. How is this song about losing yourself in your grief? Yeah, I mean, good good pickup on that. You know, it's uh, it started as a song about losing someone you love, either, you know, to loss of life or to, you know, a, a breakup or anything like that. To try, I tried to keep it a little bit open um, so you could interpret it a few different ways. But then, yeah, what when you're when you get that sad and empty feeling it it can be really hard to hold on to your sense of self and Mm. that um yeah yeah that's that's kind of it you know that line kind of tries to to sum that up a little bit it's like you can like beat yourself up over feeling the way you feel but that's not gonna make you feel any better is it (laughs) like (laughs) so you can sort of dig yourself into this you know this even bigger emptiness with it and um you know, I've, I, I, you know, my only real experience with getting out of that is is through music. That's always been my kind of mm. um, either listening to it or making it. You know, that's I think one of the great things about music is that it can be a, a sort of bomb on all sorts of different kinds of pain and, and emotion that you want to move through because you don't. It's mm. it's not necessarily an escapist thing. I suppose it can be. You know, if you're feeling sad and you put on a dance song or. The, I think the more effective thing is you feel you feel sad and you put on a sad song and then you feel very yeah. very deeply sad through the music and then that there's a sort of purge that can happen. Yeah. 
I really like that line about how you were sad because you were too sad. Right. And then you got sad because you were trying to keep the sadness out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's the. <laughs> That's like the news cycle. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And then there was fire. next song and then there was fire was written during the wildfires in australia and i like the way the i like the way you're taking on this massive problem of global warming with the line didn't want to be the way i am i try my best to change me every day to make myself a little bit better what does that actually look like for you oh man it's little things you know it's cuz it's so easy to get overwhelmed like we were talking about earlier by all of the big bads that are happening. Um, mm. And as one person, it can feel really overwhelming and futile. And so, you know, I, it's a lot of it feels, uh, feels trite of just, you know, like of being less wasteful of being, you know, right. more kind. Bringing my bags to the grocery store. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then in, in terms of, you know, just trying to, be a better person and whatever that looks like, you know, it's, that's a harder one now, especially because I tend to you be a a good person in person and, you know, Mm -hmm. with with my friendships, especially like I've, I'm, I'm pretty bad at being um, a good friend via the internet or, you know, the phone I'm okay with, but uh, you know, like if, the way I try to make myself better is to try to like treat people better. It's one of the ways, right? Just like Mm -hmm. small kindnesses. And I, I do find that a little bit difficult when you can't, you know, have everyday interactions. I'm really looking forward for this uh, (laughs) pandemic to ease up so I can feel better about myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all are. Um, What has been the process of writing about current events in your music been like for you? It's interesting, you know, I, I don't, ha- I hadn't done it much in the past, and I tried to specifically do do that a little bit more on this album, just because the times felt so uh, fraught and heavy and difficult and, uh, you know, politically charged and all that. Um, you know, this, uh, and then there was Fire is one of, I think there's a couple songs on this record, maybe a couple from past records that I've sort of referred to as future memoirs, where I'm sort of looking back f- f- to the present from the future and talking about kind of what happened. And so the, the tents and, and then there was fire is sort of like that. It's like a reporting of what happened and, uh, and you know, what we did or didn't do. Mm. And so that's trying to find different angles on current events and, you know, and, and that sort of thing helps because I, I have a really hard time with a lot of kind of protest music because it feels so, on the nose and the poetry ends up suffering for the message, which I, Mm -hmm. which it never feels great to me, you know, that, but I understand how that happens because when I start writing about something that I'm passionate about, poetry goes out the window and end up like sort of spitting and screaming. (laughs) So, Mm. um, you know, a lot of it, I think 
actually came back to refining as well, that I would sort of go through, write more than I should have, say more than I should have, go back and say, okay, but how do I do this in a way that is, you know, still has some art, artistry to it. song can't look away so in this song the chorus soars over the disappointment in human consumption how about that for poetry i know um, yeah <laughs> i read yeah, <laughs> i read um about this song uh the songs on this record there's a heavy mix of hope and desperation in the sound and lyrically i was trying to be a mirror to society using truth myth confession and stories where does hope live on this song, Can't Look Away? Oh, man. It lives in like this tiny little um, either like zen or nihilistic moment of <laughs> <laughs> of, of, um, that of it's just another human disaster being like, well, you know, it's it's us that we're hurting. I mean, that's not exactly true. We're, we're hurting pretty much every animal <laughs> on the planet. Mm. But that idea that, you know, like all of these things that are happening, they are just temporary, you know. Some of them are irreversible, um, and that's, you know, that veers away from hope again. But, yeah, I think the hope is definitely a silver lining glimmer kind of thing. It's not um, – it's it's a touch in the darkness, not really. It's not, it's mm. not infused in the whole thing because it feels like we are really – you know, we're, we're headed towards some hard times and we can see the annoying thing is that we can see it coming and we, we can know what to do and still not do it. That's kind of the thing that always just drives yeah. me nuts. In talking about the confessions that appear on this song, what was it like for you in general, like in this song and then in the others um, to face your own contributions to these issues? I mean, it's embarrassing, I guess. I mean, it's like, uh, not embarrassing. That's not really the right word. Uh, you know, it's, sometimes I feel like ashamed to be a human, um, even though we have such potential for goodness and greatness and and curiosity and beauty and all of these, you know, things. I'm, you know, I'm out there most of the time driving my car for you know seventy thousand miles a year. And I recognize that, you know, that sort of thing is, you know, it's detrimental. It's a small drop in the bucket in the grand scheme, maybe. Um, to go back, I had, you know, at a certain point, you have to just not dig that hole because then, you know, then you'll get sadder than you ought to be. <laughs> to go back to the <laughs> candle lyric, you know. Which we already went over. <laughs> we already went over. And there's no, you know, there's, it's not like you can dig out the bottom of sadness. <laughs> to come out the other yeah. side. You have oh. to crawl out the, the way you came in. I made the morning I painted the sun You were waiting there And the lines were drawn I picked a color for Your kind of pain I put my brushes down I picked again Okay, next song. 
When the battle is won, Steve Berlin, um, producer and also much beloved member of Los Lobos, he's playing saxophone on this track, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is it about his musicianship that matches the dark desperation you were aiming for on this record? Well, you know, he's just such a a consummate professional and a great musician that I think he would be able to match any mood, honestly. He is able to to listen and respond in a way that I think only experience can give you. Uh, And so... With every track that we that we worked on on this record, his input was appropriate, and you know, I and he got the he got the vibe I was going for, and was able to respond in kind. Um, this one's probably the least bummer of a song uh, on the record. I mean, this one's a little bit. I think this is sort of the end of side A if you're listening to the vinyl, and I sort of this <laughs> side A in particular I feel is a, a sort of cohesive piece that we have this like it's mm. like pretty dramatic and and heavy and then this one is a little bit you know it's it's basically a love song but also when it comes time to reckon with all of these heavy emotions that we have been going through in the songs leading up to it it's uh, it's another sort of like uh zen nihilism or like um you know, like I give up kind of song almost like, just tell me when the battle's won. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Just right. tell me when it's over. I won't know. Um, but yeah, but Steve's, Steve's saxophone part. Um, I was so, so pumped when he decided to put that on there because up to this point and on the previous record, he had pretty much only contributed keys and percussion, which he's great at and mm. was wonderful. But, you know, as a former sax man myself, I was pretty pumped to, to have a tune that I was like, oh good, I think we finally have a song that'll take some saxophone on it. Alright, now we are into side B. Yay. With... The best song ever written called <laughs> Jesus, King of the Dinosaurs, which it's a song that imagines Jesus preaching to dinosaurs. And this is the first song on the record, I think, that like strongly reflects your sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to know, like, where has humor been appearing for you recently? And also, where the heck did you come up with this idea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's my uh, my humor. Sometimes it makes it into songs. A lot of the time, it just ends up padding the songs at shows, you know. And I sort of chatter, and and that's where you know my humor comes out is during the sort of banter between songs. Um, and occasionally, yeah, occasionally it'll, it'll make it sort of in a sideways manner into a tune. But this one, I feel like, is yeah, the first time that it's really sort of front and center. Um, this one, so I was sitting um, on a porch in Montana with Billy Conway from Morphine and Lori Sargent. Um, who they li- the best, yeah, just like two awesome, great hang, awesome people. I was driving through. I was like, "Hey, Billy, I was thinking of coming by." He was like, "Cool, man, just let me know." And I think he assumed that that was it. Meant like maybe in a week 
or a month or, you know, we'll make plans. And I showed up, you know, like two hours later because <laughs> I was driving yeah. from Minnesota to Washington or something. And, you know, Montana's right there. And so we had a nice <laughs> hang. We were drinking a bottle of wine, staring at the stars. And uh, and I can't remember. They had just had a visitor. I think it was a family member who was uh, ultra religious. And so we were spending a little bit of time um I don't know, maybe ragging on religion a little bit, um, just kind of g- giggling at some of the um, maybe uh, linear inconsistencies and the seriousness which with uh, with which people kind of take their religion uh, that can be, I don't know, uh, humorous at best and dangerous at worst. And, uh, and I said something about Jesus, King of the Dinosaurs, and we had a really good chuckle about it. And I knew there was a song there, but it probably took five years before the song showed up. You know, I would come, mm. come across it, like scribbled on a page, you know, in the, in the tour van and think like, oh yeah, yeah, there's that one. Re- remember that one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when it came time to write it, I was, you know, doing this really schmaltzy sort of thing in the beginning, you know, like my, you know, as close as I've ever gotten to like a lounge singery kind of vibe. <laughs> and at a certain point I was like, well, this won't hold up for an entire song. Let's, let's tear it open with a straight, yeah. straight ahead rock beat down the middle. <laughs> track is breathe forever and you said about this song when recording the lead vocals for this i danced and jumped around like an arena rock front man so when you actually like get back to playing shows and playing in your one-man band setup mm. how will you be able to like harness that feeling and energy sitting down i know i mean it'll all go into the into the voice i guess you know like the the feet will be cranking away Probably what'll end up happening is I'll try to play it too fast for the, for the first couple months, you know, and try and put all the energy <laughs> into it that way, and then train wreck it. Um, yeah, I don't know, you know. Um, this is also one of the songs. I think when the battle is won is the other one where uh, a drummer we brought a drummer in, um, Colby Blovelt from the Boston area, who mm-hmm. was, is was great, and that was fun just tracking the rhythm guitar to his uh, to his playing as well. Um, so, you know, I could see it at some point, you know, doing a larger group kind of show. Um, probably mm. I wouldn't be able to take it on the road, but just to, to have that feeling again, you know, because it was it was so fun to to do. And, you know, when I'm doing it behind the the rig, you know, the in the one man band setup, it's it's an entirely different uh, feeling. And, and one of the fun things about recording, especially with Steve, is that I, you know, I come in with these pretty raw ideas that I've developed, you know, either just on guitar or the, the whole rig thing. Um, and then we take them apart, put them back together with a whole bunch of studio ideas. And then I take that and sort of rework it back into the solo thing 
and it changes in a really interesting way. And I feel like I learn a lot every time that I, that I do that because I need to pick up different skills in order to, to make it work. I wish I could like, Mm. um, you know, jump out of my skin dance around a little bit <laughs> while my skin kept the, <laughs> the rest of it coming. <laughs> that would be ideal, but, oh, you know. Oh, man. Um, that would be probably your last show. <laughs> a great way to go out, though, really. <laughs> I told myself that The song Last Man on the Moon has a double meaning, so figuratively, a breakup, or literally, the last man on the moon who's missing his family and home. Can you talk about your experience with, like, loving outer space and coming to the realization with writing this song that space is lonely? Yeah, I mean, staring at the stars has been a an activity for me since I was a kid, and there's something you know, even now when I'm least expecting it, you know, I I go out, you know, to grab something out of the car or, you know, something at night. And, and when it's one of those super clear nights and the stars are just blazing at you that there's this, there's just this feeling they do something to you, uh, emotionally or spiritually or something. I don't know this. Uh, and then when you start thinking about it scientifically, it's, it doesn't, it's not like the science kills the wonder. It's like it amplifies it, which is, Mm. really rare i think in this world um uh yeah and then the idea of being there though you know especially now that people you know are actually talking about maybe building colonies on you know mars or colonizing the moon first of all i think we should leave the moon the hell alone i don't think anyone should be there Mm. mining it or anything i think that's another thing like the national wildlife refuge in the arctic but even more so it belongs to you know the people of the world not some you know governmental interest don't get me going Mm. but anyway the um when i first wrote this song there was it was like a full sci-fi concept of like you know a group of people go to the moon one person is left there and all of humanity is sort of unknown to them that, you know, they, maybe they went to the moon. I think the idea was that they went to the moon to try to establish some life there because we had screwed things up so badly on earth. Anyway, it was, it was a little heavy handed and it didn't really hold up. <laughs> so, which is why I, mm. I sort of split it into, you know, a love song slash sci-fi dystopian. <laughs> I had to tamp down the nerd a little bit for that. Right. Um, but that feeling, you know, that's another, again, you know, back to that, just the feeling of being kind of sad and empty is something I think a lot of people can relate to. And God, yeah, the idea of being that alone, just no, thank you. Looking for 
for an easy smile. Um, on the song Rock Bottom, when I wrote these questions last week and I had just listened to it was probably the Daily, the the podcast, the New York Times, the Daily. Yep. Um, I was listening to this podcast about evictions during the pandemic. And in hearing stories about people's struggles made me realize that, like, my problems during the pandemic were not actual problems. Yeah. Um, this song, Rock Bottom, is about wealth disparity, being angry at those, quote, who have and inspired by the housing crisis. How have your perspective and sense of privilege evolved over time? And also, like, what about during the pandemic? Mm. Yeah, I mean— when I wrote the song, I was definitely, this is one of the older songs on the record, and I was definitely closer aligned to the character who's singing than I am now. Um, that, you know, having some success in in the music business, which it took a long time, it's a, a moderate amount of success, but it's an, an amount that allows me to survive and, you know, be able to thrive which is i feel really lucky for and also recognize how much my privilege has played a role in that that it wouldn't you know that i always basically had uh some sort of safety that i was never that um Mm. that uh without um and so over the years you know there was there was a time when i was you know not living in a house and just playing music in the streets and you know sort of adventuring you know more than I, I you know it wasn't like I was forced there I was you know I was doing a thing you know which is very different than than losing your home because of a, a system <laughs> pitched against you you know mm. um and so now looking at it from a much more comfortable place it's it still really makes me angry you know the same kind of angry I would get then you know because one thing that I that I learned that was really hard to let go of during that period was if you don't get enough nutrition basically you know which which is easy to do when you don't have a safe place to sleep because you're burning more calories like trying to stay safe and stay warm and all of these things Mm -hmm. you don't have enough mental bandwidth to do anything to help you get out of the situation or it's harder to do that and so it becomes this really self-defeating situation where how are you supposed to get yourself out of it if you can't get yourself out of it basically um right yeah what but what can what can you do you know like i try to you, you know maybe make a donation once or twice a year to like local food shelves or or you know that sort of thing but it's another one where you're just like like we talked about at the beginning you know it's like yes we do have to point out the problem before we can start to fix it fixing it is much bigger than individual contributions. So all, I guess all we can really do as, you know, creators or journalists is point at it, you know, like, mm-hmm. look, there, mm-hmm. there it is. What are we going to do guys? Is right. this, is this what we value right. as people? Do we, don't you think we should look out for the, you know, the, the least fortunate the most? Last song on the record. 
It's called More. And you said I should give props to Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, and、mm-hmm. all the environmentalists who have tried to point at that burning house we're living in. And to me, it sounds like this song represents like how you've been feeling during the Trump administration. It's like, it sounds like the villain song in like a 90s <laughs> Disney movie. Like,、um, Scar from the Scar song from Lion King. Oh my God, I love it. Let's build this musical around this song. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.、Um, We have so many good ideas. <laughs>、um, you have been feeling very dark. Yeah. But there's a duality here of hoping for the best in humanity. Where are you feeling about this, like post 2020 election? I mean, I tend to be an optimistic and hopeful person.、Um, yeah, right. <laughs> that's my, it's kind of my default setting. You know, if, if I'm,、uh, I'm going to ignore everything, you know, that's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not a very morose person in general,、um, only when I'm paying attention. <laughs>、um, so, you know, it's, it's hard, you know. Especially after the election, to see、um, how much damage can still be done with words alone and actions. I mean, the actions are, are bad as well, but an administration that's like really actually trying to set up a, a civil war and just the idea that people will go, go head over heels for, for such a sociopathic loser. I mean, <laughs> he's such a garbage. Person. It's like shocking to me. You know, because I have like a pretty strong anti establishment,、um, you know, part of me. You know, it's sure it's on the other side of things, you know,、uh, in a lot of ways.、Uh, but I think a lot of people who are behind this guy are feeling, you know, disillusioned with our power structure, which is like, yeah, of course we should be disillusioned with the power structure. But this is not. But this is not the way. <laughs> this is not the way. This is not the guy to go to, go to the mats for. Um, but you know, like I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I, you know, my partner, I just had a, a kid. So, I mean, that's hope,、mm. right? I mean, that might be the, the most hopeful thing I've done. <laughs> it's really,、mm. so, you know, I, it's, it's, it's rough. It's a rough time to be, um, to be alive and conscious in this sort of atmosphere. But I also do think that we have the, I don't know, we have the power to, to make things better. I do, I do believe that. You know, I think we're going through a, a, one of those weird fascist dips that happens, what, every like 30, 30 to 50 years? Like a, a whole bunch of humans are like, I don't know, fascism seems pretty, pretty cool right now, you know, which all has to do with fear of the other. And, you know, and it was just shocking to me how easily as a country we got manipulated in, into,、um, All of a sudden, being super pumped about fascism. I guess it's always been there,、um, kind of lurking.、Hmm. But I, my hope is that you know, that'll, that'll pass and everyone will be like, well, man, remember, <laughs> remember that mass hysteria? <laughs> how, how cute. I don't think it'll ever feel cute, but it'll be nice to see it in the rear view. And I, I do think that we're, that we're headed for that. I, I mean, sometimes so. thinking back to. The way that humans dealt with problems like leeches and bleed, like bleeding、yeah. people out when they don't feel good, like that's not cute, maybe like horrific. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There will be a certain charm to the horror as we look back. Like, oh, can you believe yeah. we did it that way? Jeez. Yeah. What fools. Showtime. Showtime will make a, a epic mini series about it. <laughs> Maybe Lifetime. <laughs> So we went through the whole album, um, and I'm wondering if we can do one more thing before I let you go. Cool. It is called The Lightning Round. Woo. And these are fun facts about you that I uh, that I ask you about. Oh. All right. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Uh, Zombie by the Cranberries. What is your karaoke song? Ooh, you know... I only do karaoke in Albuquerque, and uh, <laughs> and I've only done karaoke twice. Heart of Glass. Great. Yeah. Dogs or cats or something else? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, I have a dog. I grew up with a cat, um, and there were guinea pigs in there. Mmm, pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first celebrity crush? First uh, celebrity? Drew Barrymore. E.T. Oh. I was a child, too. <laughs> you, you were a baby, too. Yeah. Babies loving babies. <laughs> exactly. Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Uh, Peter Mulvey. That's the second time Peter Mulvey has been an answer. That's not surprising to me. First album you bought with your own money? Oh, I I believe it was Weezer's Blue Album. Very good. That was a hard one because I I can't remember the tapes. There might have been tapes before that, but that was the first CD. Mm, We'll accept that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) what, What was your first concert that you went to? Oh, man, my parents took us to so many concerts as kids. We were really lucky in that way. Um... The first one I remember being sort of wowed by was, uh, I think it was Paul Simon. It was Rhythm of the Saints tour up in Saratoga. And I think, um, oh, who opened? It was uh, Werewolves of London. What the heck is this? Warren Zevon? Yeah, yeah. Warren Zevon opened. I think that was. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whoa. What was the last book you read? The last book I read was um, People of the Book. Flying or Invisibility? Flying. <laughs> Don't get mad about it. Yeah, no, I am mad about it. <laughs> if you can fly, you, you can be as sneaky as you need to be because no one's looking up. <laughs> so what's the point of invisibility? If you if you want to be sneaky, you can be sneaky and fly. Anyway. Mm. I appreciate that insight. <laughs> Star Trek or Star Wars? Uh, Star Wars. Last question. Where's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh. Ooh. Eee. Gosh, there's... So my mind went straight to um, to Italy. Uh, hmm. Bagno Viareggio, maybe? It's this, it was like a city on top of this little tiny... Um, hill that was sort of falling away on all sides but then you know Mm. that's like people stuff you know I think really you know I would probably go with like Canyon de Chez or 
um, or one of those like super weird extraterrestrial feeling southwest red rock kind of places mm. yeah but you know cool. I don't know I like my morning walk you know I like just staring at a gurgling stream in the woods I think there's a lot of different kinds of beauty this is supposed to be a lightning round I'll stop <laughs> just go on for 10 minutes about the different types of beauty appreciation that i experience no <laughs> enough sometimes i find that the beauty within is the most beautiful place i've ever visited oh my god cindy ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, matt lorenz thank you so much for taking the time and congrats on the new record and to you and your partner for your new baby. Thank you. And I wish you well this maple sugaring season. Oh, I'm looking forward to it so much. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's lovely to talk to you as always. Basic Folk This Week, produced by John Nungesser. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts and at my website, cindyhouse.net. I am the host of this podcast, and I thank you for listening and encourage you to share this episode if you enjoyed it. Rate, review, and subscribe and all that, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay, bye.